clear the stage. Clear the stage means that you and I, as followers of Christ, allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to do surgery on our soul, to evaluate and to pinpoint anything or anyone that we hold so close to our heart that it becomes a competition for our allegiance and affection for God himself. This morning, it's my hope and prayer that you and I clear the stage. That we do not allow anything, no matter how shiny, no matter how sweet, that we do not allow anything, no matter how nice or wrapped in goodness it may be, that we do not allow anything to become or remain an idol in our lives. To get there, we need to have a checkup. I don't like going to the doctor. I don't like, uh, I don't know if it's uh, the waiting room deal. I don't know if it is uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the stuff you have to go through for a checkup. I, I don't know exactly what it is that I don't like. I, I think probably it has something to do with the fear that they might find something that I don't want to hear about. But whatever the reason, I do not like going to the doctor and I do not enjoy the checkup that you need to have, at least annually. I'm on an 18-month year for my doctor's appointments. I, 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 don't, I don't enjoy that, but everybody in this room knows how necessary it is. Even more important than a physical checkup, even more important than a physical checkup is for us to have a spiritual checkup. And that spiritual checkup can't wait 18 months. It can't wait 12 months. It can't wait six months, six weeks, or even six hours. We must be diligent throughout the day, every day, to allow the Spirit of God to pinpoint those things in our life that need to be adjusted. And once the Spirit of God reveals those things in our life, then we must deal with those things regularly. We must deal with those things ruthlessly. And we must remove those things radically. This morning's, I hope, one of those opportunities for you to take that next step forward in your growth as a follower of Christ and and allow the Spirit of God to reveal even those things that you hold dear as things that He doesn't want you to have anymore. We're going to see this in a passage of Scripture as we continue uh, from last week. Remember last week we looked in Mark chapter 12, and we heard Jesus give answer to the religious leader, what is the greatest of all commandments? And the greatest commandment is this, Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Therefore you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second liken to it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Today we continue that journey, but on three different occasions, Jesus is in the temple, and, and uh, or three different encounters in the temple. Jesus helps us evaluate or have a spiritual checkup. Jesus is teaching us a better way to live. And so let's listen 
to these encounters, and then let's, let's learn today. Let's allow God to do something different. Guys, please, 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 don't just sit there, humdrum, and act like everything's okay. That's baloney. Allow God to do his work of grace in your heart today. Open up and let him work. That's how we taste the the best life that God intended. All of us need this, and we need it all the time. So let's let God do his work. All right, so uh, Mark chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 35. And unlike Miss Julie, I brought my glasses. But they're dirty. Let me clean them. Which I use my nice tie to do that. Y'all like my tie? It was an overwhelming response, but I'll take it. (laughs) Verse 35. Mark chapter 12, verse 35. Then Jesus answered and said while while he taught in the temple, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ... Now, you can underline Christ. We look at Christ and we say Jesus Christ because that's how we name him. He is Jesus Christ. Literally, he is Jesus the Christ. Christ being uh, the uh, Greek term for Messiah. So when we see Christ, we're looking at a specific title of Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. We've scrunched that down and call him Jesus Christ. But it's literally Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. All right? So uh, Jesus here says, uh, How is it that the scribes say that the Christ or the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said... Now, this is Psalm 110, verse 2, that, that Jesus is quoting. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? We'll break that apart in a second. And the common people heard him gladly. Verse 38. And then Jesus said to them in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, uh, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many were, uh, who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole life. As we look at this passage, what, what, are we, what are we learning from this? What is it that, that, that Jesus wants us to take away? How is this a spiritual checkpoint? Well, as we look at this passage, he's talking to religious leaders. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the crowd. And he's trying to lead them along a journey where they will taste the life that God has offered them through, a, through, through giving up stuff, sacrifice, and taking hold of the blessings that God offers. So as we look at this, let's take the first story and we find a spiritual checkpoint for us. And that is, we must confess Christ's rule. If you and I are going to taste the life that God intended us to have this side of heaven, we must confess 
Christ's rule. To confess Christ's rule is more than merely to say Jesus is the Christ. It's more than to say that Jesus is boss. It is to actually submit to his rule. That's what the picture of confession is. We, we, milk, uh, we water that down so much, uh, confession. We, we water that down so much, we, we think that it's something like words that we say. No, it, it, is, it is a life to which we've attached ourselves. A confession in the Hebrew mind was, wasn't just words that we say that are true. A confession is where we align our lives with our words to that which we are confessing. So when we talk about confessing Christ's rule in our life, we are saying, I am aligning my life with Jesus. I'm going to attach my life to him and he will be my king. Bottom line, here's the spiritual checkpoint. Is Jesus in charge of your life? Not just a portion, not just a part, but the whole. Is Jesus in charge of your life? Now, that's what David was saying. Now, Jesus is, is showing something about himself here. Uh, when he quotes Psalm chapter 110, verse 2, which is also, by the way, quoted by Peter um, in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. But as, as uh, Jesus is referring to Psalm 110, here's a few things we know. We know that Psalm 110, verse 2, uh, during Christ's day was viewed as a messianic psalm. It, uh, the, the people, even the scribes, believed that this was a declaration of who the Messiah is going to be. Um, they saw the Messiah, the, 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 that long-awaited king, uh, they saw the Messiah as from the lineage in the house of David. But that's all they saw. So when Jesus says, how is it that the scribes say that the Messiah or the Christ is going to be David's son... He's asking them, is that all there is? Is it just this physical lineage that we have passed down? You know, like Prince William is son of Prince Charles, who's son of uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth. You know, that, that kind of lineage. In the mind of the religious leaders, the answer would be, yes, that's all it is. It's just a physical lineage. It's going to be a great king, but he's just physically descended. But Jesus is pointing to something even more specific. He's saying that the Christ is, is going to be more than just a, a, an earthly king. He's, he's going to be, yes, of the house and lineage of David, but so much more. Jesus is saying, let's listen to what David wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God. Let's listen to what he wrote. Now, let's break this down for a second. Now, this is what David wrote in Psalm 110. The Lord, underline the Lord, that very first, the Lord, and right above it, God. The Lord. So, David is saying, God said this, okay? The Lord said to my Lord. Now, underline my Lord. Where the first Lord is God, the second, my Lord, is the Christ, Jesus. So David is saying, not only is Yahweh God, my Lord, but also Christ, who will be of David's house and lineage, but will be so much more. This is the Christ, the Christ who will be supremely related to God in a special relationship. This is the Christ who is the cosmic king, the universal ruler. Now, David 
said, the Christ is my Lord. Can I ask you, are you living your life each day in such a way that you are demonstrating that Jesus Christ is your Lord? Is he the boss of your relationships? I mean, is he in charge of your emotions? Is he ruling over your finances? Is he the boss of you even when you're serving in your capacity at work? Is Jesus in charge of your life? Is he in charge of your playtime? Is he in charge of your thought life? Is Jesus in charge of your tongue? The things you say. Is Jesus in charge of your life? See, if we're going to taste life as God intends, then we must confess that Jesus is my boss. We must align our lives not to what we want, but rather to what he wants. Is Jesus in charge of your life? When Jesus is in charge of your life, it changes everything. It changes how we relate to people. It changes what we say to people. It changes what we think about people. Did you write that one down, baby? Because I want you to not, I don't want you to think things about me that aren't true. And it, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I, that was a mistake. I, I got the eyeball. Did y'all see the eyeball? Did it get up on the camera? Did it? Let's do it again. Oh, did you see that? She said, you're going to get in trouble when you get home. You're so pretty. All right. Is you, obviously, Jesus was not in charge of my life in that moment because I would not have done that. He would have given me a lot more wisdom than that. But when Jesus is in charge of your life, everything changes. It, it changes what you allow yourself to feel. You're not going to run off in these emotions that are contrary to the will of God. You're not going to allow bitterness to take root in your heart. You're not going to let anger become a dominant force in your life. It changes how we, how, how we talk. We no longer allow just to run off at the mouth. I had a friend who would just say whatever came to his mind. And it was usually something ugly about other people. And you know what? After a while, you know what people said about that? Oh, that's just him being him. This, no. If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have permission just to be the way you always were. Amen. Amen. Things change. When Jesus is in charge of our life, he changes us. Okay? So we have to, we, we, when we confess that he is our king, then we're saying, I'm adjusting my life to fit what he says. David himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, more than my son, more than of the household and lineage of David, he is my Lord, Jesus Christ, the king. Spiritual checkpoint number one, is Jesus in charge of your life. Spiritual checkpoint number two comes in the different in, in the uh, second teaching of Jesus in this passage when he says, "Beware the scribes," um, and and then he gives this description of scribes. And ultimately, what he's saying is, we need to set aside selfishness. We have to set aside selfishness. Now, as he describes the scribes, 
that's, uh, as he tell, talks about the scribes, characterizes the scribes, he's, he's not talking about every scribe that there is. In other words, he, he's just painting a picture of some of the scribes. Okay, so not all scribes were universally the way he, he's about to describe them. By the way, the scribes uh, are a combination of two very uh, frightening uh, professions. Preacher, attorney, combined in one. That, I'm not kidding. They were, they were both preacher and attorney. I mean, that's frightening. That scares me half out of my gourd to think about that. But um, uh, Jesus was describing these scribes, and, and he's saying, you need to beware of the scribes that look like this. Uh, they were people who had long flowing robes. Why did they wear long flowing robes? Well, they did it to be noticed. Those long robes were a picture of their affluence, a picture of their importance. It reminds me of when I was growing up in church. Um, uh, it was during the day, kind of the waning period of time, where ladies would wear hats to church. And we still have ladies who wear hats to church even today. But it, when I was growing up, church that I remember most, and two churches that I remember most, they, they would wear hats. And, and not every lady that wore a hat was trying to be noticed, but there were some. They were wearing that hat to show off. They had to be. I mean, big peacock feather hanging out like that. <laughs> I remember sitting behind one lady at uh, Main Street Baptist Church, Williamsburg, Kentucky. Sitting behind this one lady, and she was wearing this hat. It was, I mean, it had to be 10 feet wide. It was a velvet green. And it had all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. I don't know everything it had in there. It had a salad and stuff in there. I, <laughs> I remember sitting behind her, and I couldn't see anything going on. Didn't care. I was playing with all the feathers in the back of that hat. That was fun. Now, not every lady that wore a hat was trying to show off, but some of them were. And we do the same. We try to show out and show off. And it may not be a long, flowing robe. It may not be a hat, but there's something where we desire to be noticed, to show off our affluence or our importance. They have these long flowing robes. They loved the best seats wherever they were, whether it was the church house or, or at banquet feasts. They wanted to sit in the seat of most importance because they thought that they were that kind of people. We deserve the best seat. Oh, they, they, they love to walk through the marketplace and people say, oh, there he is. Hi. Made them feel like they were somebody. Because in their mind, they were somebody. And they, they love to stand uh, in the public square and have these long prayers. Because that showed everybody how spiritual they were. But Jesus says, they're just hypocrites. They're pretending. It's all a pretense. And the reason they're pretending is because at core, all they're really interested in is themselves. At, at core, the most important person in the room always is themselves. 
The way you know they're pretending is by how they treat others. And so he brings in the widows. He said, Here's, here are these religious folks, these attorney folks, and what they do is they go to the widows and they say, Hey, listen, if you want God's favor, you need to let me manage your household and your property. And those ladies would say, Well, he's, a, he's an attorney, he's a preacher, I'm going to trust him. And they would sign over all their stuff to this scribe, and that scribe would then milk that widow of all her money. He would get rich and she would be destitute. And he justified it in his own thinking. He could do that. He should do that because after all, he is who he is. Again, at core, he is the very definition of a narcissist. Everything revolves around him. He is the sun and the universe revolves around him. Everything is drawn to him because he is the most important person in the world. Now, here's the deal. Not all of us are going to go down that road. And we might not even be that extreme, but all of us have to deal with that narcissistic Christianity where we think the most important thing is what we feel, what we think, what we want. All of us have to deal with that, that, that root in our soul produced by pride in our heart called selfishness. Here's a good test. If you treat people with disrespect or demean them or talk bad about them, You've got this problem. And I just painted with a very broad stroke intentionally. Today, we need to allow the Spirit of God to do the surgery that He needs to do. In this spiritual checkpoint, he, He's going to pinpoint, are you exhibiting the signs of selfishness? Is there at core in you pride? That God resists and he considers an abomination. Today, that can change for us if we set aside our selfishness. Jesus said, beware those people. But Jesus also died to rescue those people from their selfishness. Today, we confess Christ's rule, checkpoint number one, checkpoint number two, set aside selfishness, and then checkpoint number three, give all that we are to Christ. This is the lesson of the widow. Here's the widow who comes in. Jesus is standing in the court of women, and he's looking at the treasury, and they call it the treasury because there were 13 uh, uh, buckets, and those buckets were formed like a trumpet. Uh, at the, the mouth of the bucket was very wide, and then it would funnel down, be kind of skinny, and then at the bottom there was this big bowl. And what people would do, there were 13 of them in the court of women, and it's called the treasury, and, and people would come by and they would drop their money in one of those trumpets. Here comes a little widow. And as she walks in, she approaches that... The temple ATM, that's what the treasury was. It was a temple ATM. All the 13 ATM trumpets 
The only problem was you couldn't get money out of those ATM machines. You could only deposit money in. And so they, she walks up to the little ATM. She digs in her little purse and she pulls out her last two pennies. Without any fanfare, she just simply throws them in the trumpet. And Jesus applauds her. See, there were plenty of people who gave a lot more money than she did that day. But no one gave all except for her. Jesus teaches us a lesson today. Certainly, he teaches us a lesson about our financial stewardship. Some of us are holding on to money like it is the most important thing. Some of us are holding on to money like misers, like, like Silas Marner. I mean, we, we want to hold on to our money and not let it go because we're afraid that we won't make it without that money. No, friends, when we have confessed Christ's rule in our life, we're trusting Him with all that we are, including our money. And we can depend upon Him. It doesn't mean we have to give all that we are, but... We have to trust God more than we trust our money. Do you? This little widow did. She was far more concerned about demonstrating to God her absolute allegiance and dependence upon Him than she was worried about those last two pennies in her coffer. Today, friends, today, we need to trust God more than we trust money. That's giving all that we are to Christ. It means that we believe that he is more concerned about us and more able to do for us than all the money of Fort Knox. And so we're going to trust him. So certainly this talks about our financial stewardship. It it, it certainly does. And, And we need to demonstrate our allegiance to Christ and our dependence upon him, our trusting him through our financial stewardship. But it doesn't stop with just our finances. Guys, listen, when we confess that we are aligning our lives with Jesus, you know what that means most of all? It means that we give him everything that we are. We trust him with everything. We give him our life so that he might use us as he desires. It means that we give him our emotions, our relationships. We give him everything. And as we entrust all that we are into his hands, he comes through for us and he fulfills his wondrous favor in our lives so that we then taste the life that God intended us to have this side of heaven. Simple question. Spiritual checkpoint number one. Is Jesus in charge of your life? If Jesus is in charge of your life, spiritual checkpoint number two, then we will set aside our selfishness. And if Jesus is in charge of our life, then checkpoint number three, we will give him all that we are. And we will trust him with our yesterday our today, and our tomorrow. My prayer for us, each of us here,
is that we would clear the stage, allow the Spirit of God to show us what needs to be adjusted. And that we would taste His favor as we surrender ourselves to His rule.